Good morning. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, so, uh, last week on Monday night, Michigan won the national championship. I had to bring it up. I just had no choice. I had to bring it up today. Um, it's not really has anything to do with the sermon. It just has an opportunity for me to gloat, <laughs> primarily to Michigan State and Ohio State fans. Just, just messing around. But uh, no, it was, a, uh, it was really fun. So it was a good time. Not a Lions play tonight. All right, people come up to me. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea, but it's the Lions, so don't get too excited. <laughs> so anything could happen. Anything could happen. But uh, so anyway, I've been preparing this week, just kind of thinking about what I'm going to talk about today. We're in a series, Big Bold Moves. Um, this is part two of the series. I'm um, preparing last night a little bit. I've actually had the ability to, we, we worked on putting like a little, little workout space in the garage for me, so I finally have a spot to work out last night around 12 o'clock at night. <laughs> when I'm going through things in my mind and trying to figure things out, I decided to go outside and punch a heavy bag for a while. Anybody ever have a heavy bag? Is it not like the biggest stress relief? And you, and you get such good revelation when you're punching a boxing bag. So, so I, I, it really was, I was in his, it's like, call it writer's block, but it's sermon block. So I'm like praying and thinking about, and I just go out this side, I'm going to hit it for 15 minutes or so. And in the middle of hitting it, I, the Lord just started releasing some things. So I'm like, um, God can speak to you all the time, no matter what you're doing. Um, and sometimes you just recognize I need to do something different than what I'm doing in order to be able to get in a position to hear from the Lord. Because right now, me sitting here trying to figure it out isn't working. And I can't figure it out on my own. There's like, a, there's like a certain point I was at, and I'm like, I just don't feel like it's complete. And it needs something. And so praying and going through that. So we're going to continue the series today, Bold Moves. I, I've talked a little bit in the past. You guys have heard me. I even mentioned it last week and stuff that regarding. And, I, and today I'm going to get a little bit more, in, more practical with it and, and maybe give us steps. But um, a lot of us have had things that the Lord has spoken to us over the year, dreams, visions that God's given to us personally for our lives. Um, and then those things haven't happened for a while. You've heard me talk about this. They haven't happened, and so you've kind of given up on them. Does God really have a purpose for me? Does God really have a plan for me? And we start just kind of giving up on them. And I, tried, I really felt like the Lord, for a while, has had me speaking, like God's plan for you, a purpose for you is not done as long as you're breathing. But then have I given steps, not necessarily, I just said, keep dreaming. Don't quit. And, uh, but I feel like today there's a little bit more practical steps to that because I feel like it's important. Because what happens is when we have these big dreams, or we perceive them as big, right? These are the things that are in front of me. God's put them on my heart, and they're for me. And then we start owning them. Like, these are my dreams. And then we fail to remember that everything that God has given us, every dream, every passion, every uh, purpose that he's put in our hearts is not for us. It's for his kingdom. It's for the people he'll have us impact. So we shouldn't even take ownership of them. We should just be willing to step into them, right? It's just one of the, I'll do what it is you want me to do, Lord, no matter what, is the mindset. And so we've had these dreams. They haven't happened. And because we've owned them, what takes place is now I begin to get depressed and upset. I don't feel like I have a purpose. I don't feel like God wants to use me. I don't feel like I can accomplish anything for the Lord. And, and I'm not as useful as I thought I was because these things, I, I was at an altar one time praying and the Lord spoke this in my heart. I felt like it was the Lord. I was in my prayer time praying and the Lord spoke to me and I felt like it was from the Lord, but nothing's happened. And so therefore, evidently, it wasn't from the Lord. It was just me making stuff up because I want to make myself feel better about myself that I have more purpose, right? You can do that. Anybody talk yourself out of things before like that? We start talking ourselves out of God's purpose not recognizing that there's a process and that we have to be faithful in that process. So last week we talked about Joshua a little bit. We're going to continue. I wanted to bring Joshua back into it. I'm going to read this one of the same passages I read last week, and then we'll continue. But in Joshua chapter 1, after Moses had passed, Joshua was given instruction to lead the Israelites into the Promised Land, to cross over the Jordan and to conquer. So Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, Now it came about after the, the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead, so now arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, and the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which your, your soul, the sole of your foot steps, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. 
So here's Joshua. Remember last week we talked about this. Joshua, you know, Moses just died. Moses is a great leader. Moses is amazing and awesome guy. Did a lot of really crazy, awesome things. The people admired him, loved him so much that they mourned for a long time over him after he passed away. And then Joshua, who was with Moses the entire time, who was faithful, God now says to him, you're going to lead them. After all this time, you're going to be the one that's going to walk into the promised land with them. Moses is no longer here. The entire generation has passed away. And so Joshua is left um, with the idea that I have to lead these people who are like building idols, building coups against Moses, doing all these disobedient things, and then God starts telling them weird things, like just as, just as they um, obeyed, or people, the people will start saying things, just like we obeyed Moses, we'll obey you. And that's like stupid, because they didn't listen to Moses half the time. And so it's kind of wild, but Joshua's left in this situation where he has to continue to be faithful and obedient to the Lord. He was given a vision from the Lord to lead these people in the promised land. But here's the thing, that vision began with Moses. That dream began with Moses. Isn't it crazy that sometimes God will give a purpose or a vision or a mission to somebody like Moses, and Moses will be, I'm going to be faithful, God, I'm going to do everything you do. Let him out of the promised land, so that part happened. And he, but, but Moses never saw the promised land. To me, this is perfect evidence that the things that God's speaks to us sometimes is not necessarily for us. We just have to be faithful where we're at, and maybe somebody will take the baton later on and finish it, right? That's how it happens. We just are obedient to the Lord and faithful to the Lord and what He calls us to do. So I look at this passage, and I read another one in Joshua chapter 8, just a really quick tidbit here because it gives me a thought. It says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you. Arise, go up to AI. Now, granted, they're already in the process. They've already begun conquering, right? They've already begun taking land. So now he's like, remember, the land was not just one space, but a bunch of different places that they were supposed to go take. Um, so now he's saying, get the people of war, rise up and go and go up to AI. See, I have handed over to you, the king of AI, this people, his city, and his land. Now, I look at the two passages that I, I've read. Um, God has given an instruction to Moses. Now, this is an important question. Because how many times have we heard from the Lord, go do, this is what I'm going to do, now go do this, right? I'm, I've given, this is a question I would ask, like you've given me the land, you said it's mine, you've handed it over to me, but now you're telling me I have to take the men of war and go fight for it? Like isn't that me taking the land, not you taking the land? It could be a question, because then we can begin to own it and say it's mine, and then you go get conquered. The idea was, as God knew ahead of time, that I'm with you, I'm going to battle for you, I've given you this purpose. I've told you to go. I've given you instruction. I've told you. I've given it over to you. And yes, there are steps you have to take. I mean, Moses, the Red Sea never parts if Moses doesn't put a staff on it first, right? There are steps that have to be taken. They never get to the promised land if he doesn't go into Egypt and be able to pull them out of slavery. There are steps that have to be taken. Promises that God gives to us, dreams he gives us, it doesn't just happen. He requires something. It's called faith. That when he speaks to us and speaks into our heart, he's things that I still have to walk in faith. I just don't stand and watch it happen. He will make it happen over time, but it's up to us to be faithful. What does the Bible say? Be faithful in the little things, and I will make you ruler over much. It's our faithfulness that opens the door to the dreams coming to pass. It isn't just going to happen. Joshua chapter 3, you all know this part of the story. They're, really, they're at that place where they're getting ready to step into the waters. I'm going to read this just for a minute because I want to, this kind of illustrates what I'm thinking. I threw this in after I was hitting the boxing bag last night. Joshua chapter 3, 14 through 17. So when the people set out from the tents to cross the Jordan and the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who were carrying the Ark came up to the Jordan... And the feet of the priests carrying the ark stepped down into the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of the harvest. So again, this is finally here. They're finally getting to the point in chapter 3 where God said go across the Jordan. Now they're getting ready to do it. They're finally, you see how that works? Like, I've given you instruction, and now they're doing it, the instruction. What happens if they just ignore him? What happens if Joshua decides, you said you just given it to us, so I'm just going to wait? until they all like crumble. I'm going to wait till they fall apart a little bit because God said he's given them to us. God said he gave me a promise. God said he gave me a dream. So I'm just going to sit and wait. 
not really going to do anything because he's the one that's supposed to do it, right? That becomes our mindset. He's supposed to be the one that do, does it, and so we don't do anything. But by faith, they were operating in obedience to the Lord. Then the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in a heap a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zerathon. And those which were flowing down toward the sea of the Ereba, Ereba, whatever, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, so the people crossed opposite Jericho. And I want to say this, you go into here in this passage, you can read different translations, they say different things, and in the Hebrew, what we're really getting is that they were obedient, the Ark of the Covenant, when they walked down the water with the Ark of the Covenant, the water was supposed to open up so they could walk across the Jordan. But here's really what took place. I think sometimes we get thrown these curveballs too, by the way, where we're thinking that we're supposed to, God's going to do these things, and we get thrown a curveball, then I start questioning whether it's God or not, what's happening. But they walked on the water, and according to what we see in the original language Hebrew here, is that, and even this, it says it happened. The water began to, to get cut off, but it didn't happen where they were. It happened, according to Scripture, upstream. So down a little ways, like a ways off, the water began to get cut off. So they're standing, unlike when Moses walked over, he put a staff on the ground, and right where they were, the water opened up, and they walked across on dry ground, and they get to see Nemo like right here, and they get to see Dory right here, and then they see, what is the shark's name? I, I should know that you would know that. Bruce. So they see all of them on the side as they're walking across the water on dry ground. It was easier because all Moses did was this, and then boom, we can just walk. Instead, they walk out in the water, and they're like foot deep, knee deep, and like what's happening? There's no water. It's all still here. My feet are a little bit muddy. Does God like Moses more than us? We're, what are, we, are we really supposed to cross the Jordan? Because if it happens a way off, you, you may like, notice a little bit of noise happening. The water is getting cut off, but you can't see what's happening. A lot of times, because I can't see what's happening, it would be very easy for me to grab the ark and walk back on the land because it's a little bit muddy right here. But the water ends up just like building a wall almost, and it comes and opens up, and then they walk across on dry ground. But it didn't start the way they probably expected it to. I would expect that if God says to cross the Jordan and if I'm going to step on the water with the ark, that the water is going to open up right there for me. It's going to be easy because God said that he's going to do it, right? God said he's going to do it. But God doesn't always do it the way we think that he should do it. And he doesn't always do it when we think he should do it. So there is a process of just obedience. They continue to walk, even though the water was being cut off a distance away from them. They continued through mud. They continued through water. Nemo wasn't up on a wall. between. He was right underneath his feet when they were walking. Bruce was nearby. He, he doesn't eat meat, so we're good. doesn't eat fish. We're safe. But eventually they walked across on dry ground and crossed over. I saw this from just one of the messages I watched maybe in the last few weeks. And it makes perfect sense because I think sometimes what happens with us as believers is um, many of us live in a place of fantasy rather than a place of faith. They're two different things. You know, fantasy hopes it happens. You dream about it. You think about it while you're sitting on your couch, on your chair. Maybe you go into a prayer room and you just think about it. I hope it happens. Whereas faith looks for the opportunity to make it happen. God said he's going to do it, so therefore, what steps do I need to take? How do I operate? Because faith is me operating and taking action on the things that the Lord has spoken because I believe him, right? Faith is taking action. Faith is believing. It's not just sitting and I'm hoping that it takes place. Fantasy talks about someday it'll happen and doesn't do a whole lot while we wait. We just dream. Anybody here ever just sit down? And just think and dream about what could be. What if I won the $1 billion lottery? What would I do with that? Four hours later, you have a whole entire plan concocted. You know what you're going to do. You know exactly. And so then you play and then you lose. And you're like, it really wasn't the Lord. <laughs> like so, but we dream about someday. We think about what could be, but we never take action. Faith takes the first step. 
always being obedient and taking the first step. Fantasy relies on luck. If this happens, this happens, and this happens, then I will do something. I'm waiting on something to take place or I'm not doing anything. Faith relies on discipline. I will do it until it happens. I'll remain faithful in the little things. Take all of the right steps. So we look at faith. We look at faith as those things. I just have to believe the Lord, and then all of a sudden, it's just going to all begin to rain on me. Like, anybody ever think that a little bit? Like, I'm just thinking, if I just trust God, if I just believe Him in my heart, then automatically all these things that I've dreamed for, just gonna, it's going to be like the downpour that happens, the monsoon that happens. It's just going to begin to pour over me. I don't have to wait for it. I just, it's just going to be God doing it. I don't have to do anything. Well, according to everything that we just read, there is no such thing. And I believe throughout the entire scripture, we never see to where it is always going to be just right there happening without you taking a step. It always is a step that we have to take. We don't fantasize and dream and sit around hoping. Instead, we do what we have to do now to take the steps that we have to take now in obedience and in faithfulness, and in time, the Lord will. But sometimes we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we, we start to question our God, and then we begin to question ourselves, and then we begin to think, I'm not good enough, and all those kind of things, and we begin to disqualify ourselves, and we begin to say that God never even meant it. We do all these things when the entire time, all that was required is that we're faithful and that we do the things He asked us to do today. He didn't give them a lot of instruction here. He said, you're going to go and take these lands. I've given them to you. Just go cross the Jordan. So they took the steps to cross the Jordan. Simple. Moses, go into Egypt and free the slaves. Okay. It's not a, not a small task. Didn't really have a lot of instruction what's going to happen afterwards, right? I'm just going to go and get them. And then once I get them, now what, Lord? It's like it was one step at a time that the Lord gave instruction. One step at a time. What I've known, uh, noticed over the years are the times when I sit and dream and think about things and fantasize and don't do anything and just sit and wait, I sit and wait. But the times where I'm hearing the Lord and I'm taking the little steps of faith, I see progress. I see it getting closer. I see God moving. I see things happening. But it always doesn't look the same as I thought it would. There has to be steps of faith. There's a book called Even the Sparrow. Sparrow. In the book it says this, Yes is the answer. Now, what's the question? <laughs> and the whole idea of that is simply this, is that my answer to God is yes, no matter what, even if I don't know what he's asking. Like, as soon as he asks me, it is an unconditional yes, no matter what. So even though I have this grand idea of what God ultimately has for my life, I won't be destroyed because it hasn't happened today. Instead, I'm just going to say yes to what he says to me today. Might be something minute, might be something small, but whatever it is that he asked me to do, I'm going to be saying yes to the Lord automatically, no matter what. And I'm not going to say, well, Lord, I don't want to do this because you told me there's bigger things. Because that's what we want. Why do we want bigger things? Why do we want that big dream to come to pass? A lot of times, I think because we take ownership of it, it's because we want to be validated. That I'm also awesome, like some of those other people that we see around doing incredible things not comprehending or understanding that everything that we do and everything God does through us is ultimately to glorify the Father. Remember that passage? I'm not going to read it, but remember that passage? If you ask me anything, my name, I'll do it for you so that it will bring glory to my Father. Remember that? That's why He does it. That's why He does anything He does in our lives. Ultimately, he loves us, he cares for us, he wants you to enjoy life, he wants you to do awesome things. But at the end of the day, if our character isn't lined up, if our, if our faithfulness isn't lined up, if we're not taking the little steps of obedience, then at the end of the day, if, we just, if he just gives us that big giant thing that we've been dreaming of, we're going to spoil it. And he will not receive the glory that he deserves for it. Our yes, our yes has to be unconditional Today, even though the big thing or the dreams or the passions haven't happened yet. Some in this room, and I believe this all in my heart, some in this room, you've had things that have been on your heart to do for 30, 40 years that have not happened. And maybe you've given up on some of those things. Maybe you, that's, not, that's, not, that's not the Lord. Well, it's not up to you to decide when it happens. It's only up to you to be faithful. It's only up to you to be obedient today. It's only up to you to take the little steps at a time. What does it look like to have your yes be unconditional? 
I, I read this passage, and I'm thinking, it's not, it's not, it doesn't really connect with a lot of the other stuff I just read. But to me, this is an example of somebody who's on a mission for the Lord. Multiple people, actually, that you see who are fully engaged, and they are willing to say yes to the Lord no matter what is asked of them. It doesn't make a difference. But I think also at the end of the day, this, we're, we're going to see the ultimate purpose and ultimate goal of the church, which is really what I want to get to today. Because when it comes to bold moves, we're going to take bold moves and steps towards the things that God has for us. But there is a bold move, one specific thing that I think is the heart of the Lord for t- this year. And I think it's for all of us. Acts chapter 9, we see, I'm going to read this and we're just going to talk about it a little bit. But now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This is Saul's before he got saved. He's killing Christians. He's going around everywhere. Like, you know how he was. He was a madman trying to kill anybody who said they followed Jesus. So he's threats and murder against the disciples, disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, meaning those who belong to Jesus, whether men or women, he might bring them in shackles to Jerusalem. Now as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Imagine that. That's a pretty wild story to me. I just like thinking about what, what was going on in Saul's head when you're having this encounter with the Lord. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and, he, and though his eyes were open, he could, not, he could see nothing. And leading him by, his, by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him that he might regain his sight. But then Ananias answered, because he knew who he was, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he has chosen an instrument of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer on behalf of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. I'll stop there for a minute because this story is not really about Saul, it's about Ananias. Imagine for a minute, you're living in a time period where there are people literally hunting down people like you. Anybody who follow, who's a follower of the way, anybody who follows Jesus, they're hunting you down, they're trying to kill you, they're going to arrest you, and ultimately if they do arrest you, you're going to have to deny Jesus. And so you have this, this you've seen it happen, you've heard the stories, and here you are, God approaches you and he says, I want you just to take this step. I want you to go to Saul, this guy. I believe most people, and based on what we read in just a minute, most people would have said no. Not an unconditional yes. Not a no matter what you said, like yes is the answer. Now what is the question? Not that kind of a mindset. Instead, most would say no. Think if most of us were asked by God to do, because in modern day, or in the last 20 years, I would say, imagine this. I'll put it in terms that maybe is more modern. Um, Osama bin Laden who was having Christians killed. Matter of fact, anybody from his group of people. The Lord comes to you and says, I want you to go to that person while they're actively doing all of these things, right? In the middle of all of it, where it was really, there was time periods where it was like really out and open, right? Putting people in the streets and actually killing them and beheading them right in the streets. And there was no escape. If you were a Christian, you denied or you were killed. That's what was happening. 
So imagine in those modern terms, if God said to you, I want you to go to this person, they're in this house. Most of us in this room would say, no, no, send a Navy SEAL instead. <laughs> right? That would, be, that would be our thinking, send somebody like that instead. But instead, God sends Ananias and tells him to go. Now Saul was going where he was going, but Saul wasn't going alone. He had men with him. So Ananias would know that it's not just him alone, but it's also people with him. So the fight did break out. Like Ananias like, you know, I have been hitting a heavy bag lately. I think I might be able to take Saul. But can I take Saul and his men? It's a totally different ballgame. But according to this passage, so Ananias departed and entered the house. There's no question. Immediately he was obedient to the Lord. Brother Saul, the Lord... Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road to which you were coming, has sent me so that I may regain, regain sight, so you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like fish scales fell off his eyes. And he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. So here's part two. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not the one in Jerusalem? In Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his, this name and had, and, had, and had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So now the story is about Paul, who was Saul. Because he was given instruction. And he knew the same people that he was working for would now begin to pursue him if he was to do what he's doing. But Saul said yes. You didn't have to, by the way. Just because, you have, just because you're on a road to Damascus and you get knocked off your horse and there's a giant light, just because all those things happen, it doesn't mean you have to say yes. Like, you could be really set in your ways and decide, I'm not going to receive Jesus. People do it all the time. Like, the Lord gives you clear revelation. You recognize who He is, but you just don't surrender your life to Him. Paul could have been that. He was a very educated, very learned person. He was, uh, he was literally a priest, uh, I mean, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was one of those guys that's like high ranking and moving up in the rankings. He was an important person or on his way to becoming a very important person. He could have easily just said no, but instead Paul knowing the consequences because nobody knew the consequences more than Paul, right? He knew the consequences of preaching the gospel. He knew what would happen if he began to go into the synagogues and talk about Jesus and proclaim him, which is what, but he still did it anyway, took the little steps and began to be faithful. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. So there it is. He's faithful, he's obedient, he takes the steps, and immediately they plotted to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also closely watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him at night and let him down through the opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. This is kind of interesting to me because... Other believers, while they were being pursued, they weren't being pursued to this magnitude. I think Saul being this person who was so recognizable, who people knew who he was, for him to be converted, for him to give his life to Jesus, added a lot more validity to who Jesus was. And people knew that. And these Pharisees, they're being confounded in, their, in the temple. They're, they're, he's literally blowing their minds. And as he's doing that, the other people are like, this guy's going to be more dangerous than all of the rest of them. Because they're dangerous because they walk with Jesus, but now we're talking about one of us. Somebody in our ranks who now has surrendered their life to Jesus and is like, I'm unconditionally going to say yes no matter what. And since he did that, all of a sudden, God's using him and crazy things are happening. We've got to get rid of him. And they began to pursue him intensely, so much so that he had to be freed. Imagine he be lowered from a basket only a couple months ago, or a couple years ago at this point probably, actually. Um, only, only a little while ago, you were the one doing the pursuing. And now you're being pursued because you said yes. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried repeatedly to associate with the disciples, and yet they were all afraid of him. This is what I was saying earlier, and here we go. And they did not believe that he was a disciple. So even though Paul's being faithful and obedient, and they're seeing him no longer as he persecuted him, but now he's being chased. 
All these things are happening, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't believe you're not a disciple. You know, how many times do we do that in church? You're not a disciple. I, I know what you did before you knew Jesus. Matter of fact, I know what you did right after you said you knew Jesus. You couldn't possibly be a disciple. But this is what Paul's facing. He's being attacked from the outside, from people who he used to be with, and now he's being kind of shunned by the people that he's with. It's amazing how when God puts a purpose in you and begins to say, I want you to move forward and do these things, that all of a sudden you're going to get opposition in the house and outside of the house. So sometimes, you know, we can have somebody, and I'll say this is important for all of us as believers, but we can have a person in our church who says, who has a really clear thing that God spoke to them, and they begin to step into it, and maybe it's a threat to our position or our role, and I can begin to try to fight against it. You can get pushback in the house for a lot of different reasons. It's up to us as the church to say, we're going to allow growth and allow people to be blossom and allow people to be used by the Lord. And if it's something, that even, if it's, even if I have to be moved out for them to move in, then I'll just do something different, right? I, I, one of the things, we're talking football again, just so you know. But one of the things I appreciated about the team that we watched win a national championship this year is that is the several guys on the team uh, were playing different positions at one point. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Mike Sanistro, who's probably one of my favorite Michigan players ever now. But he was recruited as a wide receiver and played wide receiver, but wasn't getting a lot of opportunity. Other guys were coming in, like he was getting playtime. But then eventually he started getting less and less because of other guys that were coming in. And he could have been like, forget all of you, I'm transferring, right? That's what he could have done. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a fit. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to push back from within the team, right? He could have done that. But instead, everybody says this is what happened. He goes over to, to the opposite side, plays defense. They ask him to go play defense. And he worked hard, never complained, was always like the best teammate no matter what. To all of a sudden, probably never would have, as a wide receiver, probably would have never, he would have been good, but never great, right? To where he is considered one of the best nickel corners in the entire country. He became first team All-American honors, things like that. He's going to be drafted probably in a first or second round. Um, phenomenal player, but over and over and over again this week, all, all you hear when somebody talks about him is his willingness, his team willingness to do whatever it takes. It doesn't matter where I'm at. This is important because it doesn't matter what God has us doing, right? It doesn't matter if God begins to raise somebody else up or not. If he does, then I need to find out where I fit. Otherwise, I begin to move because that's how God's glorified because in all of this, it isn't about me. It isn't about you. It is about what we do. It's about God being honored and glorified, right? That's why he does what he does. So if I have to shift in order to glorify the Lord, then that's what I do. Automatically, I'm not going to push back and fight against what God's doing. But I ultimately know that if God has big plans and I have to be faithful, and that means I have to move. That means I have to move. So they're denying him. They're saying he's not a disciple, but I, here's another person. This is a bold move in my opinion. But Barnabas, whose name means encourager. So if you're an encourager, more than likely you're liked by a lot of people. right? People who are encouragers, like anybody here like, does, doesn't like encouragers. Like if somebody like comes around and are always encouraging you and telling you all the good things about yourself and they're loving you, and they're, they, they, I hate those people. <laughs> they're the worst, right? They're the worst. But this is who he is. So it makes sense that God would use him to do what he's about to do because he's liked. He's probably very loved and, cared, and liked. And so Barnabas, the encourager, took hold of him, meaning Saul, and brought him into the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him, and how he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus at Damascus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly, again, boldly is the key word, boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. Now when the brothers learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed peace as it was being built up and as it continued in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it kept increasing. So what's the ultimate dream, the ultimate vision? The church would grow, that there would be peace, that God would move and it would just continue to increase, that people would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the ultimate. But on the way to the ultimate, there was Ananias who had to listen to the Lord and be obedient and take the steps to go meet 
Saul, right? And then after that, Saul had to be obedient to the Lord and say yes, and then go and preach the gospel boldly and do the things that he was doing. And then there were those who were going to question him on the inside and on the outside. And yet in the middle of all of that, there's a guy by the name of Barnabas that says, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be the one that says, like, ultimately, I see what God wants to do. And because I see the whole picture that God wants to be glorified, right, that's the ultimate goal. Because when people see Jesus and they surrender their lives to Jesus, their lives are changed, but also he's glorified. So I see the big picture here. And so I'm going to, I'm going to stand up for so Paul now, before all these people, and because of those steps, we now see this incredible move of God that's taking place. So years later, here's Saul in Ephesians 6, 19 through 20, as he sends the letter to the church, because ultimately this is it. This is what it's all about. He said, and pray in, in my behalf, this is verse number 19, that my speech may be, the speech may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it to that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So here he is years later acknowledging this is what it's all about. Pray that I have the words to say, that I can share the mysteries of the gospel. That is the ultimate, by the way. The ultimate bold move is that we preach the gospel with all of our all of our hearts. The ultimate, the ultimate thing. doesn't make a difference what it is. You're like, I have this dream that I would start this quilting ministry that would be really big and we'd be quilting all over the place and it'd be ministering to people, making quilts for those who are poor and those who are struggling and they need help. Or I, I had this, you know, whatever it might be, there could be a lot of things and that's valid. Those are good things, right? Helping people is an amazing thing. I have this vision. But the ultimate purpose of why we do anything we do is to lead people to Jesus, period. Because ultimately that brings the Father glory. And that's what it's all about. Bold move, I believe, this year. I've thought a statistic. It's pretty wild to me, but if every believer shared the gospel with four people, the gospel will be shared around the world in a single moment. Man, that means a whole lot of us are doing nothing, to be honest. Because if all i got to do is talk to four people, and all you have to do is talk to four people about Jesus, and if every believer does that around the world then the gospel will have been preached around the entire world by the time we all did that. And ultimately, that's the dream. So I talk about dreams, I talk about visions, I talk about things that you have that God's put on your heart to do. Um, don't own it. Understand and acknowledge the fact that the reason why God has given you that is the ultimate outcome of what He wants you to do is that people would come to know Jesus so that the Father might be glorified. So it belongs to Him anyway. And it's all about Him anyway. And it's all about salvation at the end of the day and not about you and not about what you like or what you want to do. It's not about me. The things that God has put on my heart are... If He isn't lifted up, what's the point? If He isn't exalted, why am I even bothering, right? But because of who He is, how can I not tell four people? It's only four. You tell four, you tell four, you tell four. We all tell four. And, then, and here's the thing. We're extra awesome in this room, so we'll tell eight. <laughs> We'll make up for the other people who are not telling four. And then after we're done with eight, maybe we'll tell eight more. Right? That's the idea is that gospel is meant to be preached. It's meant to be shared. It is the good news that there is a Savior who loves you so much that He went to a cross to die for you, that if you surrender your life to Him, you'll have eternal life. That's a pretty awesome thing to tell people. But we're so worried about the thing I'm supposed to be doing or that I feel like I'm supposed to be attaining, that I forget about the basic thing and the most important thing and the priority thing, that everything I do is for Jesus. And it's all about Him being glorified. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. All this is from God. This is Paul again. Who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. That's the ultimate mission. Not counting people's sins against them, and he, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. So Paul's like, I was an ambassador, but not all of you are ambassadors with me. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is the message. 
So whether you do that through like a really cool quilt ministry or a really cool like pickleball tournament team thing that you create, you know, like we create, we're going to create a pickleball ministry here at some point. But whatever it is, it doesn't matter. The reason why we do those things is ultimately because we want to implore people on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. We have been giving the ministry reconciliation, that is, to bring people to reconciliation with God. In other words, bring them into connection, into relationship with the Lord. I read this story. It's a really cool story. There are questions about the name of the person, but we know ultimately, as far as one of the people, not the main person. But there was a pastor in the early 1900s. Anybody ever heard the name John Harper? Kind of a basic name, isn't it? John Harper. There's a pastor named John Harper. He's an evangelist. He preached a lot of different places. He was more like an evangelist that preached a lot of different places. He preached in Chicago and had just gotten back to Europe. So he is a Scotsman. He's a Scottish man. So me and him, I'm like 30-something percent connected to this guy. I'm like 30-something percent Scottish, just in case you don't know. I'm a lot of things. But he preached in Chicago, and he gets back to Europe, and as, when he arrived back in Europe, he then gets the memo that they want him to come back to Chicago to preach some more. So in order to preach some more in Chicago, and he's in Europe, he has, he has to go buy tickets to get a boat to go over, because they don't have planes back then. Early 1900s, they didn't have the kind of planes that can go over the ocean. So he gets tickets to a boat. Now, here's the thing. It's, it's, he's a widower, so it's just him, his daughter, and his sister. He buys tickets for all three of them, and they go on this boat called the Titanic. That's a sinking ship. <laughs> Never mind, it wasn't funny, it was stupid. That's a dad joke. <laughs> so he gets these tickets on the ship, and they're just enjoying themselves and all this kind of stuff. Well, at nighttime one night, as we all know, they run into an iceberg, and according to everybody, there's some living people over, over the last you know, 30 years, whatever, have shared video. You see their video testimonies of what took place. One lady's like, it was just like a little bump. You didn't really feel it. It was like, mm, oh, that was nothing, no big deal. Then they felt another little, mm, no big deal. But then the flares started going in the airs, and the, the thing started ringing, and everybody knew that there was something going on. It was more than that. And there was an emergency, and the story goes like this. This guy, John Harper, who was an evangelist, that's what he did. He traveled everywhere and preached the gospel was faithful to the Lord and was obedient as the Lord said. So he said, go back to Chicago. I just got back from there. You know, I'm going to go to Chicago again. So as this, the chaos begins to ensue, he wraps his daughter in a blanket and helps his, his daughter and his sister get onto one of those life rafts that was able to, able to float away. And he says to his daughter, who's not a, a really young, but a little bit, I think she's probably five years old or so, but he wraps her and makes sure that she's on a boat. And he says, I'll see you again someday was what the word his sister had said. That Basically, he knew that if he stays, he's likely not going to live because at this time, they're telling everybody. It's, it's everybody get on the rafts, women and children first, and, and the men basically have to sacrifice themselves for their families. And so he helps them get on the boat. And then after he helps them get on the boat, this is what, there was not just her, but there were many witnesses that he began to go up and down the deck going to one person after another saying, do you know Jesus Christ as, your, as Lord of your life? Do you know Jesus Christ? And he began to share the gospel. And there's, there's stories of him being on his knees praying with people. So up and down, up and down, and eventually this boat goes in two and begins to sink. And everybody who's left on that boat sunk with it, including John Harper. But he's in the water, and this is a story by Another person who was witnessing it, there's other people who witnessed it, but only seven people, this is kind of wild, but only seven people who were in the water were actually rescued from the Titanic. This man was one of them, and he wrote about it in his journal of what took place. As they're in the water, this guy is swimming around from one raft to another, asking people if they know Jesus as their Lord. I'm talking ice cold temperatures, everybody's freezing to death, hypothermia set, setting in. He said, a guy comes up to him and asks him if he knew Jesus as Lord and Savior. He said, no, I don't. And then he took his raft, his, he got off his little thing, he was floating on and handed it to him and said, you need this more than I do. And he floated away and began to tell other people. He tried to share with them, but he, he wasn't really receptive at that point. But it, the water carries him away. 
And he goes and he sees him continue to do it, but then eventually he didn't see him anymore. But eventually, somehow, the water brought him back around. It was just rough water, choppy. He ends up coming back around and he asks him again, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior now? <laughs> kind of thing. You had a few minutes to think about it. Do you know him yet? And he says he, he doesn't. And as he was talking to him, he began to sink. His hypothermia set in, and John Harper began to sink into the water. And it was at that moment, in his journal, he wrote this. He said that uh, as he went under the water, he then realized this person has so much passion, so much confidence in what he believes in, that he's not worried about death. Right? He's not worried about that. He's worried about the other people who might die without Jesus. So he said, with two miles of water underneath me, I gave my life to the Lord. In his journal, and he said, here's the phrase he used at the end of his journal. I was John Harper's last convert. John Harper had a choice. I mean, it's chaos, you're going to die. Is my yes unconditional? John Harper might have had dreams, might have had thoughts that if I keep doing what I'm doing, maybe I'll just have this huge ministry. Maybe I'll have a mega church. I don't think they had them back then. <laughs> but uh, but maybe, I'll, maybe I'll do all these great things. But God, the entire time, just simply wanted one thing. Just share me with people who don't know me. Just share the gospel. And at the moment he's doing this, all these people, like they're at their last moment, every single one of them, including him. But there's desperation, because what am I going to do right before I go meet the Lord? I want to make sure that everybody else that comes, I come in contact with right now comes with me. So that's the mindset. One person after another, one person after another, and this guy... Quilla Webb, I believe they said his name was, who began to go back to Canada after all this took place and would show up at public places, bars and whatnot, and preach the gospel and share this story during that time period. And I'm thinking to myself, I have a lot of aspirations. I have a lot of bold moves I want to make, things that the Lord's put on my heart. But maybe if I just do this... <laughs> share the gospel, and just keep doing this as if though somebody's life depends on it, because it does. I mean, I might come in contact with somebody today who they might be sinking on a ship and nobody knows about it. Do I remain faithful to preach the gospel to every person I possibly can? Not just four. That's just a statistic. We just blow that statistic out of the water. Share the gospel with every person who doesn't know Jesus as if though I'm about to meet the Lord and so are they. And I believe this with all of my heart. I believe that if we remain faithful in that main thing and if we treat the dream or vision that God's given to us as if though that all is only really to meet the purpose of the main thing, then it doesn't matter if that happens or not because at the end of the day, people are getting saved. And if that happens and more people get saved as a result of that dream, pfft, Awesome. Saying all I have to say is don't worry about it, just serve the Lord. Just reach people. Just love people. Just care for people. Just share Jesus with people. At the end of the day, that's the biggest bold move that the world needs from us right now. The world's making all kinds of bold moves. If anybody needs to make one, it's us. If anybody, but I'm not talking about like I'm going to go and talk to you about all the stuff that doesn't matter, like yeah, it matters, but it doesn't really matter in eternity. Like politics, I'm not going to get... I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Because he'll change the way you think. Change the way you live. That's the gospel. That's the message. That's what we preach. If there's one bold move, I'm going to share more in a series. There's going to be a couple more messages in it. But ultimately, this is, the found, this is the most important one. Lord, make me like John Harper. I want to be like Jesus but I perceive John Harper as being like Jesus in this moment. Preach Jesus. Preach Christ and Him crucified. Lead people to Him. And whatever it is that God has for you will come to pass. It will. If you're faithful, if you're praying, if you listen to the Lord, and if you're doing this, because this is what He said, right? What, is it, what has He said when He gave instruction to the church? Go into the world. And what? Yeah, that was it. And whatever the vehicle is for that, cool, but that's the main objective. 
we do that, we fulfill that purpose, we're obedient in that calling, cool things will happen. Amen? Amen. I'm going to play. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to open up the altars. If anybody here needs prayer for any reason, I just believe, um, I want to pray this prayer over you regarding that. I just pray that the Lord just build our faith to help us to walk in a kind of obedience that we're saying we completely trust Him, completely obedient to Him, willing to lay down our lives on the line for Him, willing to preach the gospel at every turn, personally and even from a pulpit. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I want to encourage you right now that, that you would step forward and that we want to pray for you. We want to pray that you would know the Lord the way we know the Lord with the same kind of vigor that he had when he went from person to person to person. I want to implore you, reconcile to God. He loves you. If you need prayer for any other reason, we're here ready to pray with you. So Lord, right now we thank you for your amazing love towards us. We've all had aspirations and dreams and the things that have been on our heart to do. And we sometimes just sit and wait for it to happen. And when it doesn't come, we get discouraged. We get upset. Lord, help us to be faithful in the little things. Lord, help us to do the main thing. Help us to go into the world and preach the gospel. Empower us, encourage us, strengthen us. Even as Paul prayed, pray that I might have the words to say. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you would do that. Every one of us, Lord, that's what you've called us to do. We might have different vehicles, different ways that you ultimately want us to serve people and love people and reach people, but at the end of the day, we're all called to do the same thing. And so I pray that on our way to whatever that is, that we would preach the gospel in love to every single person we know and come in contact with, if, uh, that we would be willing to listen as you speak to us as you point us towards somebody, as you prod us to go and speak with somebody, that we would not hesitate, Lord, but we would be obedient to you, that our yes would be unconditional. No matter what it is, Lord, yes would be unconditional. And we would follow you and serve you and preach your truth and love. We thank you for the opportunity to do that. We thank you that you choose to use us but ultimately you choose to use us so that you would be glorified. And so that's what we pray too. Lord, is that everything that we do, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored, that you would be lifted up, that people would see you, not us, that people would come to know you, not our church. They would love you, fall in love with you, see you, be transformed the way we were transformed. And we thank you for this. We ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.